Welcome to Man vs. Machine. My name is Theo Greminger. Uh, guys, this is a lot of fun today because we, we keep switching it up here at Man vs. Machine. Last week, we crushed it. We had Bradley Stalder on with Dario Ofstein and myself. You've seen Billy Muzio in here. So Man vs. Machine has sort of become a, a rotate rotation where we're talking some really, really sharp content here at Player Profiler. And today, we're uh, fortunate enough to be joined by a good friend of mine, Mark Garcia, who started hosting our First Mover podcast. Mark is a very well-known high-stakes player, an excellent best ball player, and a tremendous DFS mind. Uh, we're really fortunate to have him this season. His podcast is debuting. Uh, Mark, why don't you just take take over here? Why don't you talk a little bit about First Mover and where everyone can find your work? Yeah, so First Mover, obviously uh, those familiar with it are familiar with Dario here. Um, but yeah, first mover during the season, DFS focus, and we're going to be looking at initial reactions to initial player release or player pricing release, um, which those usually are released sometime around Sunday night football for the coming week. So look for that podcast to be released on Monday. Um, during the off season, we got a little bit of a head start here and we're jumping into some theoretics surrounding best ball. So if that interests you, heavy best ball volume player, go check that out. Uh, and we'll be releasing it in audio-only form. So those have been housed over at the uh, Player Profiler YouTube, and we're going to be releasing those in audio form here shortly. Yeah, awesome. It's definitely one to check out. And Dario, you're going to be here on Man vs. Machine, and people are used to seeing you there, but they need to get used to seeing you, if they're watching on YouTube, of your <laughs> new of your new uh, studio. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is this is the rig right now. I'm in a uh, 2002 Volkswagen Eurovan for those of you guys who care about vehicles. And uh, it's the camper version. So I've got a whole kitchen. I've got a closet. Uh, I've got a Planet Fitness membership so I can take showers. And this season, I'm going to be hitting all 30 NFL stadiums over the course of 18 weeks. So I'm very excited to be bringing the people content from, you know, just from the street, from the stadium, get probably really deep into that game every week and also just provide some of that van life content too. I mean, I'm sure people want to know um, where the hell I'm sleeping most of the time. So yeah, I'm really excited to take on this adventure. Yeah, it's super cool. And look for Dario to be maybe dropping some new podcast forums uh, this fall, which should be another cool thing for us. Um, guys, we're in August. I mean, we're getting after it. Uh, this is this is like serious time. This is not time to mess around. Uh, we have a lot of stuff we really want to cover when we get back. We're gonna die last week. If you if you tuned in, highly recommend going back and checking that one out. Dario Bradley and I looked at at teammate arbitrage uh, opportunities, specifically at the wide receiver position, and then we spent like two minutes on some other positions. So today we want to dive into those, and we always also want to talk about correlation. I think this time of year you're hearing a lot about stacking, a lot about correlation. We're going to tell you a couple of our favorite uh, correlation plays and stack plays that can really help your best ball builds as well as your redraft teams, uh, especially in some of these big tournaments. Uh, so after a word from our sponsor, we're going to cover a ton of really cool stuff. Hey, it's the Podfather of great news. The 2023 draft kit is live. It is world famous. Why? Because it is the best resource for winning fantasy football championships that exists. There are rankings and cheat sheets for every format you can imagine. We have projections both at the team level and the player level. And wherever you are, you can click on a player, open them up, and see in-depth written analysis about what to expect in fantasy football from that player this year. And then you can click on the team, and you can get even more in-depth analysis, all the drivers of fantasy production both in a positive and negative direction for that team, including a signature trend. And the graphics are incredible. So these team insights, they give you the team-level projections, the vacated targets, the vacated areas, and that one dynamic for each team that you need to know when making decisions on draft day. And we added a bunch of features. I mean, individual cheat sheets for Theo and Billy and Dario. So you could take your favorite analyst and download their personal draft cheat sheet and then in the commissioner's section, also brand new this year, Memphis Young lays out everything you need to know to manage a league, do's, don'ts, tips, and what the more innovative fantasy commissioners are doing this year. That's presented by Trophy Smack. The whole package is presented by the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the FFPC, 
Ray Garvin, Derek Brown, the best minds in the industry contributing analysis. It's certainly not the most inexpensive draft kit on the market, but uh, it is the best. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Go get it. Welcome back to Man vs. Machine. Guys, so we're hearing a lot about stacking. We're hearing a lot about correlation. And I think it's something that's kind of become like a very common term. I know a few years back, Mark, uh, when we were playing, you know, in the FFPC streets, this became kind of like a cliche thing. But a lot of times when we're seeing the winners of some of these big major tournaments, whether it's a high stakes redraft, whether it's underdog, whether it's a DraftKings tournament, you're seeing some sort of correlation. I think that that's kind of also come in with the uh, game stacking, which is something for, for another show. But what does correlation and stacking mean to you, Mark? And what is it? how is it that this can kind of supercharge our success rates? It's, is it sort of a simple, simplistic way for me to call it a double bet? Yeah, I mean... When you think about the amount of variance that's associated with the game of football, the game of redraft or best ball or DFS, whatever format you're playing in a fantasy setting, the amount of variance in those formats is just off the charts. So these team stacks, these player stacks, these correlations, these game stacks, they are a way to get multiple pieces right at once and kind of reduce the amount of variables, things that need to go right in order for you to succeed. So um, it's a it's probably originated in the DFS streets, and now we're seeing it heavily utilized in both redraft and in primarily best ball um, as a as a function to just reduce the amount of variance, basically. And Dario, anything to kind of add, like when you're attempting to look at like stacks and correlation, anything to add on marks? And then when do you see people make mistakes with it? I would add that it not only reduces your risk by having sort of less variables it increases your upside if joe burrow is going to have a game where he throws five touchdowns somebody had to have caught those touchdowns and your team with burrow and chase or burrow and higgins is going to have double counted touchdowns on some of those and that's extremely valuable when you're talking about you know best ball where you have those one week playoff elimination rounds also like you said mark definitely originated from dfs with good reason so that correlation not only simplifies things, it increases your upside. And I would say that where people tend to go wrong with it is if you're reaching too far for a stack, specifically in best ball, right? I mean, if you already have, um, I don't know, let's say Josh Allen, and then you draft Dalton Kincaid two rounds ahead of his ADP, that's probably not a winning strategy over the long term. And then just let's stick with that, Mark. So let's say we're talking about reaching to, to form a stack. When we get past a certain round, is there a bigger argument to reach to to kind of like let's let's say you have Daniel Jones, and mm-hmm. let's say you really want to ensure Jalen Hyatt, a guy who's steaming up a little bit, and you take him in like the sixteenth round instead of the or the, let's say the fifteenth round instead of the seventeenth round. That's like allowed. And kind of less of a of a worrisome thing to do than say doing it in the seventh round. Is that pretty simplistic but true? I think my I don't I hate to overuse this um, this answer or this response, but it depends. Um, the way that I look at reaching or the way that I kind of handle ADP in really any format that is driven by a snake draft is by placing it into buckets. And the reason I do that is because the generalized assumption or habit pattern from the field is that closing line value is so important. And while it is important, and that's like beating a player's ADP once the the draft window ends, it is important. It's not the only thing that's important. We know that stacking and correlation is important. We know that closing line value versus ADP, which is like the ability, think about it in DFS terms. If you, if you were the only player in a contest to be able to have 60K in salary cap instead of 50K, that would be a distinct advantage. Closing line value versus ADP is somewhat similar to that in that you're accessing different areas of the game tree that the rest of the field likely wouldn't be able to access. But the reason I say it depends is I view the first three to five rounds and the last three to five rounds in a draft as areas where it's okay to take a more exploitative mindset as far as ADP goes. And the reason for that is because 
typically the players in those rounds in the first three to five are going to be combined in a similar fashion based on what draft spot you have. And so the deviation away from ADP gives you enough expected value through those unique combinations of players to offset the expected value that you lose through the deviation itself. Uh, heavy theoretical there, but, um, and then in the last three to five rounds, it's kind of the opposite in that those are the rounds where the players with an ADP are being drafted 95 plus percent of the time on rosters. And if you are willing to embrace a little bit more variance and stray from ADP in that range, you're again able to build rosters that have a basically pairing or combination of players that are not highly owned together. No, I, I love that. And I think we'll get back to the uniqueness, but Dario, is there anything to kind of add in that? And then you can start us out with this, Dario. Let's say we're talking about 18-man underdog. What would be the maximum amount of players from a specific team that you would feel comfortable with in a stack? That's a good question. I don't think I have anything to add to what Mark said. That was that was a master class right there yeah, on that was pretty on not his first rodeo those first, on that. Those first three rounds, those last three rounds. <laughs> um, but I would say, I mean, that, that's a tricky question for for the most number of players on a team. I want to say four, maybe like triple stacking your quarterback. And I think you are obviously not doing this if you don't have the quarterback of that team. Don't go and draft like a running back and two receivers and a tight end from one offense without getting that quarterback because then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if that offense does go nuclear and you have all those pieces the person who has that stack with the quarterback is going to be running laps around you but i would say triple stacking the quarterback is probably the most creative i would get because at the end of the day you are looking at some you know all the money's won in week 17 and if you have four pass catchers on the same team it's pretty mathematically impossible for all of them to hit in the same game and you're taking away roster spots that could contribute potential fantasy points in those position groups. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think for me, four has been kind of the number where I've like organically hit and I'm not, again, not forcing it. And a lot of times it's for like a team like Kansas City, where maybe you end up with like Mahomes and Kelsey and then you end up with Sky Moore and then it's easy to get like a Rasheed Rice. Not as easy as it was a couple weeks ago, but it's easy to get that kind of sort of thing. Or Daniel Jones with Waller, and then you take two shots on the wide receivers. Mark, would you agree that anything kind of over four is pushing it slightly? Yeah, I think from a percentage uh, solution, that's probably the most acceptable answer. That said, I did just draft a uh, a BBM team where I made the some uh, some heavy theoretical plays, uh, basically by reaching at the two three turn and taking Lamar Jackson and uh, Mark Andrews. I did the same thing, Mark. So I feel like we're, it's not like I did that with a Justin Jefferson, Mark Andrews, uh, Lamar Jackson uh, team uh, yeah. as well. So I felt like so good about that. Then I talked to a bunch of sharp people and they're like, I have like four of those. Yeah, but it's it's interesting because the only way that those pairings have lined up per ADP is if they both fall to the three, four turn. If you take that thoughts process one step further, now you know that those teams are all paired with back end of round one players, your CD lambs, your Austin Ecklers, that type. Um, but I got really funky with it. And then when I got to the middle rounds, it was like Zay Jones fell a full round past ADP. And then Rashad Bateman fell a full round past ADP on the next pick. And then OBJ fell two rounds past ADP. So I, now I had five Ravens on that roster. And it was like, well, at this point, what's more important? I don't know. They're, it's so, I'm getting so much closing line value at that point, And they're in the stack that I was okay like taking five from that game. Yeah. And then, I mean, not to mention, I think specifically with the Ravens receiving core, you have a lot of potential for, you know, Zay Flowers to come on late and be that guy that wins for you in the playoff weeks while Odell Beckham is more of a contributor early on in the season. So like you said, I think there's definitely some narrative like possibilities there and theories that could lead to that team really smashing with all those guys contributing across different points of the season. Another thing, too, I wanted to point out while we're talking about stacking the most players from a given team is I think, Mark, you talked about the element of game stacking. And I think that that's a great way to increase your upside without going that crazy on one offense. I mean, we talk about this all the time in DFS with runbacks. And 
that's what people have been leaning into with week 17. Also with the weekly winners format, you can kind of pick and choose your game stacks. As long as you see two offenses that you like are playing each other, you can end up with five or six pieces from that game and really lean into that. For you probably, sh- you probably roster. should. Dario, don't you think you probably like, you know, weekly winners is interesting. And that's something like to, we talked about it with Hayden Winks a little bit, Billy, Billy Muzio and I did on first class fantasy, but Dario, would you say like for a weekly winners, when you're looking to really push it in for a week result, you should, you should be leaning into like whatever we said just went out the window. You want to have like six, seven guys potentially on that same team, just really pushing it in from the same game. Yeah. I, I don't I mean from the same team. I think like this, the reason we're capping it at four and the so, other question is like, it, you know, if, if you have chase Higgins, Boyd, Irv Smith and Mixon on one team, like, you're not, I don't think you're going to win any week because they're just all going to be taking turns scoring the points and the touchdowns. Cannibalizing yourself. Exactly. Um, so let's let's push this. We, we have like the, you know, we talk about the stacks at the top. Like every single person you know has a Mahomes-Kelsey team on underdog at this point. Um, you know, there's been a, a quite a few Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen teams, and then the Jalen Hurts teams with Devonta Smith and, and A.J. Brown are quite common. You see a lot of Jalen Hurts and, and Dallas Goddard teams. Let's stay away from the 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 big three. Um, I've loved like what Mark Mark talked about the the uh, Mark Andrews Lamar Jackson uh, correlation. I've also dove into some some Russell Wilson with Jerry Judy Dulcich and Marvin Mims. I've I've really like I found that that was kind of like a secondary uh, stack for me, but then it ended up being something where I, if I'm pushing punting QB. I would kind of start out with Russ Wilson as a QB one and, and make it a kind of a larger QB build. So I, I've had a couple like stacks. That I see myself continually building Mark. What are a couple of stacks that you really like um, from the best ball perspective? And, and you could, you know, push it to redraft if it's a single correlation play. Yeah. Uh, quick shout out. I just recorded a video for player profiler on my top three uh, best ball stacks. Oh, my draft. So, a uh, little preview of that. Probably my favorite that I've been clicking the most is out in New York with the Giants. Um, Daniel Jones, Darren Waller. I mean, you look at Darren Waller's previous red zone usage over his career, and it's absolutely insane. Like, he was up to 38% red zone target share three years ago. Um, so they clearly saw a need for a red zone weapon. They were ranked fifth or sixth last season in red zone touchdown rate. So this is an offense that they're already efficient when they get in the red zone, and they just went and got their red zone weapon And I've been basically pairing it with or tripling it up with either one of Darius Slayton or Jalen Hyatt, because I think that they are likely competing for the same snaps. Um, And I'm not going to sit here in July or in early August and pretend I know who's going to win that. So I'm just kind of mixing those throughout. And then this is not necessarily a theoretical question on pass catching running backs being part of your correlation plan. But that Saquon Barkley, Darren Waller, Daniel Jones, plus a wide receiver uh, that's so easy to do right now uh, without yeah. really reaching. Are you in on on pushing Saquon as part of your Giants uh, correlation, or, or do you prefer kind of a, a naked uh, Saquon build? 100%. And let me tell you why. <laughs> this is uh, So I did a study on the past three seasons, the Millimaker winners, um, basically roster construction versus utilization rate by the field. And I primarily focused on the primary stack on the primary stack and correlation. So the bring back um, from rosters that won the Millie maker and then compared it to optimal roster of that week. And what I found was the quarterback running back pass catcher. So either tight end or wide receiver um, it's optimal win rate, or it's, it's the t- the percentage of time that it was the optimal roster construction was 22.22% over the previous three seasons. And I can guarantee you sitting here right now, based on field observations, that the general field is not drafting that specific player combination as far as roster construction goes at that rate. So now that is just inherent or just extremely easy leverage to build by drafting quarterback, running back, pass catcher type roster constructions if the field is not utilizing it at its hit rate, which is now just basically a lopsided risk reward profile. I love that. I love that answer. And so Mark gave us, you know, he's into the giants. Dario, how about any teams that you're looking at as a great opportunity to stack or a single quarterback receiver correlation play? 
I kind of like getting Geno Smith with JSN and Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf, when he falls past his ADP, I think he's a little rich right now. But I think between the three, the talent that those three receivers have, I don't think Tyler Lockett has lost a step. So getting that whole combination and you're going to have games where, you know, one or two of them really explode. But I think Geno Smith is his ceiling is going to go up with the arrival of JSN. And I think that just it's an offense where we've seen that Geno Smith has really turned it around. And I think that these are three uber talented receivers. So I'm more than happy to stack him with the two cheaper ones. It's kind of a st- like a stack you can put together in the seventh to to 10th round. So I like throwing that together late if I don't have any pieces from my early rounds coming together to form a good stack. I like the Seattle one a lot. And I, I that Pittsburgh-Seattle game is kind of sneaky in week 17, Dario. You can easily uh, add into that. How about for a cheaper, and your, you know, Mark, your answer was pretty relatively like a middle-class QB. Dario, you're, you're diving into the QB middle-class as well. I think that that Dak Prescott, that Anthony Richardson, the Daniel Jones, the uh, certainly the, the, the Geno Smith, uh, and Russell Wilson starting to slide up a little bit. That tier, I'll kind of put them in the middle. How about for like kind of the, the quarterbacks 18 and on, uh, Dario, is there a kind of a cheap, cheap play for you that you like right now i think Tannehill is appealing with the arrival of hopkins i think burks is really talented we really like chig and his talent profile so i think that getting Tannehill with you know any two of those three pass catchers preferably including hopkins i think is really appealing because the the titans signing hopkins is signaling to us that they want to win and their intent on keeping Tannehill as in as the starter i think that was certainly a systemic risk earlier in the offseason and also the fact that this like Tannehill's always been an efficient quarterback and he he's just going to I think he's going to continue to be that. I think they also don't really trust Levis or Willis because we've heard that Willis is still getting the QB2 snaps and we saw what Willis did last year. I think that this is a team where Tannehill and the risk of him getting benched just because the team is so bad has really gone down. DeAndre Hopkins still an elite target earner and you know, converting those targets into yards and touchdowns. Very good. We saw in his limited sample last year. And, you know, Traylon Burks, really excited to see his year two. Chica Conquo as well. That's kind of a stack where the quarterback is considerably cheaper. And there's really Hopkins is the only weapon that you kind of have to draft in the first, I don't know, five rounds for that stack. Or leave him alone and just go Burks and Conquo. That's, that's a fun one. I've liked Tannehill when it's like a, a three QB build and, you know, I find myself with like Sam Howell or Tannehill or actually Jimmy G lately because it's so easy to build like Myers, um, Mayer, and Jimmy G. Or if I have Devontae Adams, I can I can easily do that. Um, Mark, how about you? Give us a cheap, cheap sna- uh, stack or correlation play you're looking at. Yeah, it's probably Matthew Stafford in uh, Los Angeles. You look at kind of what that team has become and where they were, uh, and their their defense has been absolutely gutted. So Matthew Stafford, the big like holding down his ADP factor this offseason has been his health, Cooper Cup's health, kind of what is that offense going to be? This is still a Sean McVay team, and if they are healthy, the Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, I'm, you have to kind of add him in there. Um, he is going early, but his quarterback is going so late. So like a Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, Cam Akers, I've been mixing in a lot, um, getting that quarterback, running back, pass catcher. I think Tyler Higby is a sleeper to go top five end of season at the position. So um, the volume there is nice. You can do some fun things with that offense. Yeah, I love the Higby one, especially with, you know, and again, I think Cup will be fine. Um, but if Cup misses time, that's just like Tyler Higby is going to get 100 targets again. And nobody gets 100 targets at the tight end position. It's very hard to find those guys. So, like, if you had to bet on a guy getting 90 plus targets, I think Higby is that that's a pretty safe bet. It seems kind of vanilla, but at the end of the day, um, it doesn't have to be like a sexy pick to help us win a lot. Um, guys, any anybody else to add um, in terms of, of stacks? Anything interesting? Dario, in, in, uh, anything, anybody else kind of under the radar to you? I think Sam Howell warrants a mention. And I, I also think, you know, you're talking about those guys that go mostly undrafted. I think I don't mind a Jacoby Brissett dart throw in the 18th round if you have two quarterbacks that you feel like so-so about and you want to just get one more potential piece in there. 
I think Jacoby Brissett could potentially take over and start some games for this team, but I really like the pass catchers, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. I think if you find a way to get both of those, you, you definitely want to be stacking it with one of Howell or Brissett at the end of the draft. And I think that the arrival of Eric Bieniemy as an offensive coordinator for this team is going to elevate their upside. And I think Jahan Dotson is legit. So I think that this team has a potential to have some spike weeks for a really cheap stack. I, I like that one. And you could also throw Antonio Gibson in there. Um, you know, he's, he's a very good value and his has got the, you know, McKinnon role on lock Mark, anybody else to add? Yeah. Jordan love is probably entirely too cheap at this point. You look at his pass catchers. It's basically just Christian Watson. Even uh, Aaron Jones is relatively uh, inexpensive at this point. Romeo Dobbs going in the 12th, 13th round. And then you start getting to the unknowns with the rookies. I mean, you got Jaden Reed there. Uh, you have, um, Oh God, and I forgot his name. The tight end, Musgrave. Luke Musgrave. Uh, yeah, Luke Musgrave. Thanks. Yeah, I'm a Packers fan. That's a player. Fan, that's, yeah, that's, a player pro, that's a player profiler <laughs> favorite, Mark. That's like a player yeah, profiler yeah, yeah. guy. So, there's a there's a lot of fun things you can do with that offense, and I think Jordan Love is probably appropriately priced per his median projection. But with that median projection comes one of the more wide range of outcomes profiles this season. He could be absolute garbage. The Packers could be absolute garbage. They could also like put up some points this season. So um, he's a fun one to mix in as well. So guys, this was really fun to talk about stacks. We could talk about this for hours, but we've got to cover some of these ambiguous backfields. I love taking shots on some of these situations. I think we've seen some ADP wins over the last few years. Uh, we only simply need to look back to the Leonard Fournette, uh, Ronald Jones year, where both those Tampa Bay Buck backs were, were getting pushed down and we ended up getting a top, you know, sixth season out of Fournette. That was in 2021. It doesn't always happen where we get this sort of explosive results, but you do have guys kind of depressing each other's prices, which if you draft enough and, and you kind of are able to kind of, you know, open up the tea leaves, you can spot potential ADP wins. One offense that I want to cover first, guys, that's got an incredible amount of steam right now. It seems we get positive news um, you have Chicago Bears beat reporters saying this is the best this offense has looked in 20 years. They are doing things that they haven't done in a while. They say like they were they were always pretty low in terms of yak and all these sorts of things. They're, they're working in their receivers. Mooney is healthy. DJ Moore looks like the real deal. They re-sign Komet. There's a lot to like about the pass catchers. And certainly Justin Fields is a potential like dark horse QB1 overall. But there's some value to be found here in this backfield. And right now, we don't really see any of these running backs being drafted, even in RB3 land. You have Khalil Herbert, who settled in around RB40 on underdog. You have Roshan Johnson, who was getting a little closer to him, but Roshan just took a knock, so he might see a, a little bit of a dip. And then you have Deonta Foreman, who they say he's been getting some work with the ones, and he's the cheapest one available uh, as well. Last year, I believe they had 11 weeks are better where they produced a top 24 week at the position. And that was with the offense being bottom 10 and scoring. So I'm interested in taking a shot on a bears running back. Who are you on right now, Mark, um, in terms of your, your favorite bear running back to draft? I think all of them. Uh, okay, cool. and, and this is coming from a guy that, I mean, I've, I'm like 750 drafts in at this point. So I have the ability to kind of mix and match as I, as I want to, to manage that portfolio. Um, but I think all of them, and I think it stems from Luke Getze, honestly, offensive coordinator. I was actually impressed with what he did with what he had last season. And basically all he could do to maximize or the only piece that he could maximize was like Justin Fields. Like I have to figure out how to best utilize Justin Fields. And I think he did that from a maximizing kind of what he had. Now you look at the offense. They brought in DJ Moore. They brought in two additional running backs. They um, ha obviously have Khalil Herbert held over, and they um, they have they just signed. Um, now I'm drawing a blank again. Their tight end to an extension. Um, uh, oh, Komet. Komet, Komet, yeah, yeah. So, Tanyan backing so, them up. They got some talent there. Yeah, so the it's kind of night and day with what Luke Getzey has kind of at his disposal as far as game planning, game management, and, you know, offensive game plan goes. So I'm buying into that offense. And I think you have to with a middle of the pack ish offensive line, but with Justin Fields, the like perennial threat rushing on the ground behind him, um, you have to kind of be buying into that, 
that uh, backfield. Um, and I think the most that I've been doing is getting access to that backfield through the cheapest uh, member in Dante Foreman. But I think there are, there are situations where it makes sense to take shots on Roshan. There are situations where it makes sense to take shots on Khalil. Cause like those are two very, or three, I guess, very different like player archetypes as far as running backs go. You have Khalil Herbert who has been hyper efficient. You have Roshan who is likeliest to see some pass catching type work. We don't know what that's going to look like with a new offense entirely. Um, and then you have Dante Foreman who is, this kind of proven commodity we've seen now what he can do with volume. Um, and I think that you can honestly draft two of those three on a, on a same best ball roster as well. I've done that a number of times. Um, how about from redraft? Uh, and again, like, you know, you said there's, I think there's kind of a misconception about this with, you know, drafting two running backs from the same team. I, I think that there's been a great amount of research done with this where it's, it's possible. You just have to kind of pick your spots. Um, but like you, you bring up like Mark, you can get Khalil Herbert at running back thirty nine, and then Foreman at running back fifty, or Roshan Johnson at forty eight. So, you know, if I'm doing a six RB build or a five RB build, like why not? Um, and then I want to kind of to, to let's let's pick one from a redraft perspective. If you're going to draft one in like an FFPC draft, who would it be? Probably Khalil Herbert. I think he has the highest pure upside within his range of outcomes, and that. I like to think of these situations through like, what is the best case scenario and what is that player's value in that best case scenario? So like for Khalil Herbert, the best case scenario is probably that he just kind of runs away with the early down role. And he is kind of that primary early down rusher. And if he sees the volume that that role could bring with his efficiency, proven efficiency, I think he has the highest pure ceiling of any member in that backfield. Yeah, it's certainly uh he's going lower than I would have anticipated. Like, you know, four months ago, I figured Khalil would have been like a high end RB three. Um, and he's definitely not, he's not even cracking RB three land. Dario, where are you at for, um, you know, your preferred Chicago bears running back to select? I think in, you know, to answer the same question, if we're thinking about from a redraft perspective, I think I'm stashing Roshan Johnson on the cheap. I mean, we really love his profile obviously here. And I think that that there's untapped upside in that, He's kind of an unknown quantity entering an uncertain situation. Khalil Herbert has looked good on limited sample sizes, but I mean, so did Roshan Johnson when sharing a backfield with Bijan Robinson at Texas. So I think that, he, like Mark mentioned, he does have the highest pass catching ceiling. So if you're, especially in a full PPR league, we know underdog is half PPR, but especially if you're in a full PPR league, I think I'm chasing that Roshan Johnson upside. And I think in terms of, contingent upside in different scenarios i mean khalil, if khalil if something happens to khalil herbert deontay foreman is not much of a pass catcher at all so i think that there's a very good chance that roshan johnson gets catapulted even further into having value from that direction of the offense now there is some concern with justin fields being a running quarterback that he won't you know be targeting running backs as much but we just need the guy who's going to be out there on third downs and I think that that still will result in a decent amount of production, or at least that's the angle I'm taking. You can, I'd rather have a guy who I can stash on my bench and then potentially know he's an instant starter than be kind of having those middling flex players that are ro clogging the roster. Yeah. And I always don't like, I, I always hate the notion of saying that a guy can't check down to a, to a running back. You see like these arguments happening this time in the off season and, uh, like Cam Newton wasn't checking down to running backs at all until they got Christian McCaffrey and they said check down to the running back. I mean, if you're a good football player, you can you can switch it up. I mean, if if Jalen Hurts wants to utilize DeAndre Swift as as a pass catcher out of the backfield, he absolutely will. So um, I, I think uh, those are both great answers. Let's dive into Buffalo because this is one of the best offenses in the league. Um, you know, if I, you asked pretty much anybody to give you their top ten offenses in the NFL. Buffalo will be a unanimous top 10 offense, even if we think that there's going to be a slight bit of four to probably. Top, yeah. Top, well, yeah. there's a couple of people put, pushing back on the, they could be, you know, there's the slight worry about a, wide receiver. Two of, is the only position you're concerned about. I know Theo, you're absolutely I mean, balls. Deep you have a wide Kincaid, receiver too. His name's so, Kincaid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no. Dar, you're absolutely right. So let's, I'll use, I'll, I was, I was being like extra conservative on that one. Let's say top five offense like Dario's are his pound the table for. I'm a big James Cook guy at RB 30. 
I think James Cook to me has been a, a value that I've been attacking, whether it's best ball or redraft. There's not a whole lot of enthusiasm. Devin Singletary's out of there. Devin Singletary had 50 plus targets, three straight seasons. And we know James Cook is a much better receiver than Devin Singletary. I mean, the tape at Georgia just doesn't lie. The pedigree, I mean, everything about it. You know, we also saw that he had explosive runs last year, um, albeit on a limited sample size. Then you have Damian Harris. A lot of people love Damian Harris right now. They've made him part of their best ball or redraft plan based on the fact that they think that they're going to be more conservative with Josh Allen around the goal line. This is could be the, you know, the the whole argument is this could be this year's Jamal Williams, the guy who falls in the end zone 12 times. Where are you at, Mark? Who is your favorite Buffalo Bills running back to draft? And is this a ambiguous situation that we should absolutely be taking shots on? I'm probably going to piss off some people. Uh, I am not overly enthused about the Buffalo Bills uh, backfield because through that same reasoning of best case scenario player valuation. So what is the ceiling of any member of that team? Well, it's highly, when you look at like the composition of the bills, they already have an extremely low running back opportunity rate. Yes, they are an extremely good and efficient offense. They have a very low running back opportunity rate and they have shown us already this off season that they're kind of adopting this next man up type mindset. So even if James Cook and or Damian Harris get hurt, they still have Latavius Murray that they brought in. They re went out and re-signed or I guess signed Darrington Evans. So I kind of get this feeling that it's like we're not really going to be looking to feed a, a single running back 60 plus percent of the opportunities. We're going to be mixing and matching throughout the season and we're going to be mix and, mixing and matching through the sample size of a single game as well. That's kind of my read on the situation probably against the grain, but I'm not overly enthused even at those prices because I don't see the ceiling in a best case scenario for any one member of those guys. Depressing answer from Mark Garcia, who I was hoping <laughs> would yeah, yeah, follow me on, on James Cook. <laughs> uh, Dario. I'll, I'll do you the want? favor. I, I think, I mean, I think that you're right on that James Cook, because of the pass catching upside, those, those Devin Singletary targets are going to go somewhere. The bills are probably going to be top five in pass attempts in the league. But I, I see Mark's point for sure. Like the best case scenario for James Cook is maybe RB12, RB15, if everything breaks his way this season. And in the, you know, what is that? Like the eighth round of your best ball drafts, you kind of want to be drafting guys whose absolute nuts ceiling is a little bit higher than that. So I I kind of see it both ways. I think, for example... Zay Flowers, a couple picks away from him. Sky Moore, those guys have potential to contribute a lot more for you in terms of shattering that ceiling. Even though maybe maybe James Cook is a little bit likelier to get there, we think his role is secure. Overall, I agree with you, Theo, that he's the best option to go for because of that pass-catching upside. And I think that especially if you're someone who believed in him as a prospect and, and likes his profile, he had some encouraging trend up in snap share last season over the course of the last six or eight weeks. I think that there's a world where he hits maybe more like RB eight to 12, like that back end RB one, even higher, but it's kind of, it's, I don't know. I see, I see both sides here, but I do think James cook is the one to be drafting the most of between these three running backs. Let's keep it going. One offense that it's getting a lot of positive vibes right now is the New Orleans Saints. Uh, kind of like Chicago, this is a team that people are kind of betting on to improve. And also, like a month and a half ago, everybody would just say Cleveland or Baltimore. But now, uh, you know, they're already getting steamed up. So we need to find like the next offense to, to, to be positive about. But New Orleans right now has a healthy Michael Thomas. We have an ascending player in Chris Olave. Uh, you have the threat of Taysom Hill. You have, uh, you know, like some pretty interesting players. And then they have this three headed backfield where you have Alvin Kamara, who's getting drafted at running back 29 about on underdog and FFPC Jamal Williams, uh, who's come down a little bit because of the, you know, the potential positive vibes around a shortened uh, Kamara suspension. And he's at RBA 43. And then you have Kendra Miller, who's about seven years younger than both of those guys. Day three pick, or excuse me, day two pick out of TCU uh, and he's going around about like just inside of RB4 land on FFPC and underdog. Right now he's RB47 on underdog. So 
this is another situation kind of like Chicago, except we have a guy at the top who's had an unbelievable career who's getting a little bit older, and he has suspension looming, uh, suspension concerns. Mark, where are you at in terms of which Saints running back would you want to uh, attack right now with part of your draft plan? Again, through that lens of like, how do I evaluate this situation? Look at it from the best case scenario player valuation. What is the best case scenario for any any of these three guys? It all kind of revolves around Alvin Kamara's suspension. So I think there's different ways that you can build any of these guys into rosters. And like, think best case scenario for Alvin Kamara, he gets what zero two games, something along those lines between that. And we'll we'll know. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. He's meeting with Goodell today. So we mm-hmm. might have some clarity really soon. Yeah, so that's a situation. Where would he be being drafted right now? You mentioned his ADP earlier. Where would he be going if we knew that his suspension was going to be between zero and two games? Probably in the RB 16, 17, 18 range, something like that. I mean, this is a player who has been top five in both receptions and targets each of the previous five seasons. So it's like we know kind of what to expect. And the offensive coordinator has not changed at all during that entire time, his entire career, basically. Um, so it's a very clear cut in case. Like if you're looking at the best case scenario of Alvin Kamara and it revolves around suspension, not injury, not anything else other than the suspension, there's definite potential leverage and value in that situation. When you compare that to Jamal Williams, what is Jamal Williams best case? it probably doesn't, his role probably doesn't grow or change very much, even if Alvin Kamara suspended the entire season. But we have to realize that there is a significant touchdown expectancy with his expected role. So whereas like Jamal Williams is probably being drafted for a medium outcome that has a tighter range of outcomes, whereas Alvin Kamara um, and Kendra have much wider ranges of outcomes about their median because of the suspension, I'm kind of siding with Kendra and Alvin Kamara in this situation. Kendra is certainly the one with like a ton of juice. If you're looking for like that guy that could take over in the second half of the season, if either of the veterans, you know, suffer an injury. Um, And also, you know, if the quality of play could potentially go down, I did see one interesting thing, Dario, that the saints were doing is they're working Kamara in, in some receiver drills. Um, So they have him out there working with the wide receivers, which I think is kind of cool and kind of insulates him where are you at on this situation? Because I think it's giving people a little bit of a uh, little bit of pause right now with the with the potential suspension stuff. My attitude with Kamara has kind of been wait until the suspension hits because I think his ADP will go down. Because I mean, earlier in the offseason, it looked like more of a sure thing that that would be a four to six game suspension. Now to this point, I think I think Mark's right. Like if you if he comes back from his meeting with Goodell with a two or three game suspension, his ADP probably bumps up. So. I'll be getting some exposure at his price. I mean, it's probably only going to be at this price for another week or so. I think maybe a four-game suspension is the sweet spot where his ADP doesn't shift that much. And then more than that, obviously, we'll see it drop, vice versa. But I'm with you that I think Jamal I think Jamal Williams' touchdown role isn't even as locked in as we may think. I mean, just because he had that role in Detroit. I mean, they, the, the outlier number of carries that they gave him inside the five last season yeah. was probably like it's it's certainly something we'll never see again for for him in his career or hardly for any player so i think that people are kind of still overvaluing him off the back of that he got a good contract but it's nothing crazy the saints can have an out after this year i believe so i think that kendra we really like the talent and he his recovery everything we've heard has been that it's ahead of schedule i mean i was reading some beat reported news that he was making really good cuts in team drills so he's back out there. I mean, there was more worry for his injuries. And I haven't seen his ADP trend up as much as I expected it to with the positive news coming out of camp about his injury. So I think I'm probably heaviest on Kendra in terms of my portfolio. Definitely second on Kamara. And then I think I'm with you, Mark, that Jamal Williams, even in his best case scenario, he's not really winning you a league. And I think the floor is a lot lower than people realize. I love when there's a potential situation where you have three players that that are that people are betting on. Dario, you brought up, you know, the the Seattle wide receiver situation, how, you know, you one could look at it from a pessimistic perspective that 
you know, the they're all kind of getting pushed up. But you could take the optimistic uh, perspective that they're all depressing each other's prices. And I think that's like kind of a thing with with Kendra. I think like if there was simply no Jamal Williams, Kendra Miller would be like running back 34 right now. So there's all this contingent upside with those guys. All it takes is one of them to kind of go out of the way, whether it's Kamara with the suspension or whether it's one of the other twos with, with an injury. And these guys are all worth more. So it's definitely an interesting one, especially if New Orleans takes that next step. Now, talking about second-year offenses, last year Mike McDaniel absolutely showed that he knows what he's doing on the offensive side of the ball. We saw the beautiful target share, 52% target share for Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill. Defenses couldn't stop it, even though they knew it was coming. Uh, he rewarded any fantasy manager that drafted those guys. Tua crushed his ADP, uh, especially on a points-per-game basis. If you had Tua when he was healthy, uh, you felt pretty good about things, and we didn't take zeros, uh, guys, on those other weeks. So hat tip to, to Mike McDaniel. Can he do it at the running back position this year? There's not a really a tight end we want to draft. There's not a third wide receiver we're really interested in. So there's all this opportunity right now, in my opinion, for running back useful weeks. I love Devon A-Chain. He's running back 38, though. You also have Raheem Mostert, who's running back 53. And you have Jeff Wilson at running back 56. So you have nobody going inside of the RB3 land with Devon A-Chain being a borderline one. And then you have these RB5s in Mostert and Wilson. Where are you guys at on this one? Uh, Mark, can you get excited about drafting Miami Dolphins running backs? Oh, yeah. I love okay, that. It's similar to the uh, the previous backfields kind of we've discussed where they were three-headed kind of backfields. Another one you can talk about is, is Philadelphia. Um, expected to be kind of three-headed timeshares. What I like to think about this in a, through the same like reasoning as like best-case scenario, these backfields are three-headed backfields until they're not. Um, particularly with these older guys, um, Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson and Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams, these older age kind of running backs. Um, and the the counter to that is like, well, a two-headed backfield is only two-headed until it's not. It's like a lot of those teams that employ two-headed backfields, they have players that will just step in behind them. These three-headed backfields, if one of those members goes down, it's much likelier that we see that devolve into a two-headed backfield now. And now you're getting basically leveraged um, exposure at that point. Um, I am, I hate to just keep busting your balls, Theo. Uh, I am, I am targeting Raheem Mostert and uh, Jeff Wilson most heavily out of this backfield. You look at what kind of what they did last season and they kind of just alternated like one or the other was providing like RB two plus production in a given week. And not that, that is not going to be influenced by the addition of Devon A. Chain. But from the perspective of best case scenario, it's highly unlikely in my mind that Devon A. Chain at five foot nine hundred and eighty-eight pounds is one going to be asked and two capable of taking a large uh, position or share of the early down work in Miami. And I one hundred percent agree that like this is a high powered offense and this is a concentrated offense. And that is like beautiful for fantasy production. They don't have a tight end. They don't have really a wide receiver three. Uh, Travis Sherfield is gone. They don't really have anybody behind like um, chosen. Anderson isn't going to really step in and just be this awesome wide receiver at his point in his career. So there is availability for one of these guys to significantly outperform. And in my mind through that thinking, I'm targeting Mostert and Jeff Wilson most heavily because their contingent value is the highest, in my opinion. It's likely, and if we look at the tendencies of McDaniel last season with his RB usage, even though they had multiple names on their depth chart, he typically settled into a primary 60 to 65% type guy with that change of pace pass catcher behind him playing 30 to 35% of the offensive snaps. So if that's the case, I want to kind of be betting on the two likeliest to see that 60 to 65% share in Mostert and Jeff Wilson. I have a, a good amount of Wilson also. Cause I, for me, I would prefer him to Mostert. Um, I just like, you know, he went out and got him and he's so cheap, but I'll, I will yeah. push back a little bit. I think that a chain, a lot of the appeal with a chain is the receiving work. So mm -hmm. I think his, his touches are going to be extremely high value. And I think that he's a very, very competent runner 
even though he has size concerns. So if at the end of the day, I think like he's he's very appealing to me as potentially a, a ten uh, a ten rushing attempt a game guy, where he's kind of insulated by you know the veterans, and then he's got that that big time receiving ability. So for me, I, I like him, but I also have not minded taking a, a, an A-chain Wilson, uh, like a, a build in best ball. But in, in redraft, when I get an opportunity to get A-chain, I've been taking it. I think it's going to be very clear what his role is early in the year. I think he'll be kind of an easy guy to figure out, even though you know I'm calling him a glorified satellite back. Because if he's getting enough touches, we know Mike McDaniel knows how to use speed and space. Uh, it's almost a perfect fit. Dario, where are you at on these guys? I'm with you, Theo. I think Mike McDaniel's probably easily a top five play caller in the league just based off of what we saw last year and the fact that there is no clear third target after hill and waddle those guys are going to consume you know maybe 60 55 60 65 percent of targets any given week that's a lot but that's still 30 percent of targets on the table at least so i think we're gonna see devon a chain he could just so easily step in and this is why they I think they drafted him for this reason. He could be a 10, 12, 13% target share guy very early on in the season. And I think particularly in best ball where we value those spike weeks tremendously, I think that Devon A-Chain is going to be a guy who can bring you spike weeks with multiple long touchdowns. And, you know, if you're if you're lucky, they happen in the right weeks of the season. But I think, I think Mostert is probably a top three player in the injury finder and for good reason. And he's only one year older, so I'm pretty out on him. I think Jeff Wilson is a good value. He's going to probably see the bulk of those carries. I think we probably have him ever so slightly projected to lead this team in. I'll pull up the player profiler projections right now. We have we actually have A-Chain the highest in fantasy points among these three running backs, PPR specifically because of the receptions and then Wilson leading the team in carries. So I think Wilson is a good value for where he's being drafted. I don't think he should be going, you know, 60 spots behind a chain in underdog ADP, but I think that's, that's how I'm looking at this backfield. I'm also extremely high on a chain. I remember, you know, Billy and I were sitting there on draft night in Kansas city. And I told him like a full round early, like, Dolphins to a chain book it, and when it happened, I was we were I was happy to be plugging them into the projections there. So maybe I'm a little biased, but I think it's the perfect profile landing in the perfect spot, and the upside is just tremendous. I had to Let push me... back on a lot of haters. Um, in you know KC, Cody and Cody and Matt, you know wanted to push back on my a chain love, and the, it's a perfect landing spot, Mark. You know, all I, I've got another rebuttal if you allow. <laughs> We allow anything you want here, man. <laughs> uh, so if you look at the offense as a whole last season, 34.9 pass attempts per game. And if we assume that 55% of those are going to uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, we assume 5 to 10% are going to ancillary pieces. That doesn't necessarily leave a whole lot of volume, even if we expect A-Chain to see some schemed work, which I agree, it is highly likely that he is going to see schemed work through the air. Um, because... McDaniel is very, very good at maximizing the best players on his team. And we saw it last season. It's like, yes, I know I have Mike Gesicki, but Mike Gesicki, even though he is an athletic freak for a tight end, that does nothing to compare to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So I'm just going to run the offense through them and, and we'll make it happen. What he was able to mix in last season instead of using somebody like Mike Gesicki is he was able to use those running backs. And so I think that that is likely to be something that we see. I'm just not sold on the snap rate and the basically the playing time beyond a, you know, six to eight carries per game plus three to five targets per game with most of those being kind of schemed usage for, for a chain. I mean, the fear would be a James cook like path. I would, I mean, I'm going to kind of give you a, a spin of your own argument here, Mark, but like this three man backfield, I think, inevitably becomes a two-man backfield because of the age and injury history of sure. Wilson and Mostert. And when that happens, whether it's week two or week eight or week 15, like maybe you see, I, I think you see A-Chain go from, you know, maybe the six to eight, six to seven carries we see him start out with. If he becomes that 10, 11 carry guy who's on the field for 50% of snaps and gets that 10 or 11% target share, I think he's easily delivering 
mid-range RB2 value in fantasy with massive spike week ceiling. So that's what I'm buying in on at his ADP. You can just picture it now, Mark. It's week 17. Devon A. Chain takes a 60-yard screen pass to the house, and we all cash. Uh, guys, so we don't have it's so much there. time here for, for the for the last two teams here, but these are important. Uh, Antonio Gibson right now has jumped Brian Robinson. In May, it was Brian Robinson getting drafted ahead of him. The market correctly, in my opinion, pushed AG up to RB32. Brian Robinson very close behind at RB37. You have both players getting positive vibes out, out of camp. You know, talking about Brian Robinson's health, Antonio Gibson uh, it seems to be in a great place. Eric Bieniemy and and uh, I guess they kind of like him again. Ron Rivera last year didn't like him. Now he kind of is talking him up. So where are we at on this backfield, Mark? Um, are you taking shots on both or are you simply on Gibson? Yeah, I'm taking shots on both. And I think you can do it on the same roster as well. Uh, this is one of those rare offenses where I'm fine taking both members of the backfield. Um, early on in the draft season when the ADPs were flipped, I think through my first like 200 drafts, I had like 40% Antonio Gibson. And that was just a factor of this guy's too cheap per his median projection, even where he's going right now. Now that they flipped, I think the market has overcorrected a little bit. And I think particularly on a half PPR site, like underdog, I think Brian Robinson should not be going later than Antonio Gibson. Um, and this was my assumption kind of starting the the draft cycle was I expect Antonio Gibson to be kind of utilized in a um, in a like pass catcher plus type role. That's what has been vacated in that offense. And that's kind of where his skill set is most optimized for. And now that we get to like fast forward three months down the road, that's exactly what the reports are coming out of camp for. Um, so I started like 40 percent Antonio Gibson been taking him less frequently of late. Um, I think I'm at like 20%, so still a significant amount. Um, but I've gotten my Brian Robinson after not touching him at all to begin draft cycle. He's up to like 23% for me. So I'm heavily invested in this backfield. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Eric Bieniemy. Gotta love Eric Bieniemy. Um, you know, it's certainly an offense that we're, we're a little bit more. It's funny. We're so excited about a Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett led offense because the pieces are all cheap and should be pretty consolidated. Dario, where are you at between Gibson and Brian Robinson right now? I think my biggest issue with Brian Robinson is if either of these guys is going to have any work taken by Chris Rodriguez, like the hot rookie who's being hyped up in their camp, it's going to be Robinson because Rodriguez is a fellow plotter. So I think that this could be a two-man situation that becomes a pretty ugly three-man situation very easily, and we've seen that in Washington. I think, Mark, like you know, you're basically sitting on a pot of gold with all that uh, Antonio Gibson exposure that you got while he was dirt cheap, and I think you're right that he's maybe overcorrected a little bit. I still agree that he has the highest upside of any of these players. I mean, even just from a pure profile standpoint and athleticism if I told you that, you know, a commander's running back ran for a 60 yard touchdown, you're going to guess it's Gibson, you know, probably like minus 200 odds, if not more. So I think that he's still the highest upside on a weekly basis. And, you know, we've all kind of been dreaming about the day he becomes a feature back with that receiving usage and the rushing usage. This is the year that the receiving opportunity is going to open up the most. So I think that he's still a decent bet. At his ADP, I mean, we're talking about RB32. You want to get a little bit of him, I think. But, I mean, obviously, like Mark said, the time to draft him was two months ago when he was two rounds cheaper. Yeah, and I think, like, he could be the number three target. I think it could be like a McKinnon-type situation. And he's much, much better player than McKinnon, in my opinion, and a better athlete and younger. So just betting on that role is something uh, important. And then quickly, guys, we're at an hour here, but I want to get your favorite player to draft in Philadelphia. Um, this is a little bit more expensive situation because you have DeAndre Swift at RB24. You have uh, Rashad Penny. And Swift on an FFPC draft, he's going to go in the sixth round almost always. Sometimes you get him in the seventh. Uh, then you get Rashad Penny. He's RB34 on underdog. Uh, he's, again, getting kind of pushed down in FFPC as well. Uh, but he's still inside of RB3 land. And then you have Kenny Gainwell, uh, a player that has produced for us um, 
you know, obviously he's the number three, but his price is so depressed down to RB 52. Mark, who's your favorite player to draft? Let's stick with best ball for this one. Uh, per ADP, probably Rashad Penny. He is currently my fourth highest owned running back on underdog right now. Um, he brings that unique, like, and Swift does too, but he's much more expensive on that format. Um, but he brings that unique spike, ultra spike week potential with uh, a little semblance of floor. He, this is a, this is an offense that we're expecting to be top three in scoring. They are, they boast the top run blocking offensive line in the league. So I think top three in scoring and they won't be three. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So this is, this is an offense that I think you would be foolish not to be buying into. Um, And the, the backfield is kind of the cheapest way to do so right now. Even, um, even Dallas Goddard is going before any member of the backfield right now. So I love targeting all any and all of those guys. And I think that's a great point uh, about Penny where he's at an ADP mark, you also don't have to make that running back versus wide receiver decision where the wide receiver position starts getting a little bit dried up in that penny range on underdog. So I'm with you and I, and I do love taking Gainwell. Um, I think that he's just so cheap and I know we're going to have a couple usable weeks out of him. Dario, where are you at in terms of the best value? Maybe your favorite one to take. I think in terms of half PPR, I'm with Mark that it's Rashad Penny. I mean, Miles Sanders is gone and this offense is run first, I think that their pass rate is going to have to come up because their game script was so good last season. But this still is an offense that's built around threatening you with that offensive line and Jalen Hurts as a running threat and then having a running back who can be that bulldozer. And we've seen Rashad Penny do that. I think when we talk about you know a three-man backfield becoming a two-man backfield, Rashad Penny is definitely the likeliest to get hurt of these guys, although Swift has had some injury issues too. I think that just because of the difference in price, I'm leaning Penny right now as well. But I think I, I agree with all your points about this being an offense we absolutely want to buy into. These running backs are going to get opportunity near the goal line. It'll be very interesting to see just how much they utilize DeAndre Swift. We haven't projected for 45 receptions. So that takes a big hit when you're talking about underdog, which is specifically half PPR versus your redraft leagues, where he, those would be full points. Um. But that's that's kind of my spin on the situation, too. I'm with you guys on Penny being the best value on underdog. And then the upside for all of them is tantalizing. If Rashad, if DeAndre Swift hadn't been traded for, I mean, we would be pounding the table so hard for Kenny Gainwell. And the NFL seasons are still chaotic. Like, even at, at running back 52 for Gainwell, you have a guy who, I mean, we saw what he did in that playoff game against the Giants last year. I believe it was the divisional round where he just went absolutely nuclear after Miles Sanders had already kind of been given the right to rest through the second half. And I think he has that athletic upside. We've seen him get the targets. So I like them all. I think Penny slightly ahead for underdog, but yeah, all the pieces are good in this backfield. Yeah. And Penny did, has been getting the, uh, you know, the first team work carries and it sounds like Swift's getting a lot of targets. So it could, could kind of work out for both of them. But uh, definitely a fun uh, discussion here today, guys. I think we covered an absolute uh, ton. Mark, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can get you on Twitter, and also your podcast. Yeah, find me on Twitter at HiloFF. That's H-I-L-O-W-F-F. Most of my work is housed over at One Week Season, so go check me out there. Primarily DFS and best ball centric, heavy in the theoretics. And then obviously catch me every Monday evening, still time in flux, but Monday evenings and afternoons uh, on first mover as well as into the season. Dario, let everybody know where they could find you and where is your journey taking you? You're in Colorado right now. Yeah, I'm in Colorado right now. I'm driving to Canton for the FF Expo next weekend. So kind of excited to, you know, this will be my first one. So meeting all the, all the fantasy folks there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My work usually on Player Profiler. As you can see, the, the projections, the rankings, the um, dynasty rankings as well, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, just happy to be here. Mark, I guess this is an official passing of the torch of the first mover <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So I'm uh, very excited to to tune in and see how, how that goes for you this season. Yeah, and we need to do this again uh, here on Man vs. Machine because this was awesome today, guys. I really appreciate both your time. Uh, I love talking with you guys. This was some like deep, high-level discussion. Uh, make sure and tune in uh, for more Man vs. Machine with Dario. Make sure to turn it in for First Mover with Mark Garcia. 
And then tune in Friday uh, for First Class Fantasy. I'm going to be uh, with Nelson Sousa and Billy Muzio. Uh, we're going to talk about some fades, some targets that are going to help you in redraft. Uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks for tuning in. See you guys. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.